Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy 1. If you don't have an old school Bible, but you'd like one and you're comfortable in raising your hand, do that and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift. You can also take your smart device and open the YouVersion app. It's also called the Bible app. And we have already uploaded all the notes and all the scriptures and we'll put them right behind me on the screen. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, I love you and I'm so glad that you're part of our family. And I am glad that you forewent the cottage, that you forewent fishing today, you forewent your boat, whatever it is that you forewent and that you, uh, you chose to be with us here in person today. And so let me just say happy Memorial Day. I know that it's a day that we celebrate people who gave their lives in sacrifice for us. But for me, it's another opportunity. I think we should take every opportunity that we can to celebrate those brave men and women who have given their lives in service to our nation and, uh, and to those who are. And so uh, I, I don't wanna center people out uh, today because we do that typically a couple of times a year. So can we just do this? I wanna do two things. It's a little bit out of my standard MO. Can we just give a hand to people who have served and are serving in the military? And so if that's you, I love you. And, uh, and I'm so grateful. And, and can we be mindful today to just take a few moments and just to think about uh, the people who have given their lives in battle. Today's message actually is very germane to, to what we're talking about and, and what this day celebrates. Years ago, I was speaking in Kentucky and I had an afternoon off. And so I decided that I would go and tour Fort Knox. This was before Google. So I didn't know what their hours were. I didn't know what the security protocol was. I just knew that I'd read an article about the things that had been housed there. The original constitution, the declaration of independence, a rough draft of the Gettysburg Address, the Magna Carta, a Gutenberg Bible, a whole bunch of opium, which I thought would be dope to see. And what really I wanted to do was I wanted to hold a gold bar. But, but when I got there, I was super disappointed because you couldn't take a tour or hold the gold. That joint's on lockdown. It is surrounded by fences and gates and barbed wire. Not only are the walls concrete lined granite reinforced with steel, but large portions of the building are underground, which makes it impervious to bombing. On top of that, the land between the fences and the building is laced with landmines. It's regarded as the most heavily guarded place on the planet. Why? Because the vast majority of the government's supply of gold is still being held there. 147.3 million ounces of gold at $1,816 an ounce as of yesterday, that's just shy of $268 billion worth of gold. If it were to be stolen, it wouldn't only affect the United States economy, but the entire world economy would be devastated. So there's no length they won't go to protect it. I want to talk about that concept from a spiritual perspective today in a message we're calling Guard the Gospel. 
Let's pray. God, we love you. Grateful to you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what this weekend represents and sacrifices that were paid so that we could be here or we could choose not to be. God, thank you that it gives us the freedom that people can sit on a boat or at a cottage and take their phone, their device, and they can tune in and their families can still celebrate you without pressure, God. And so today, thank you for all of this sacrifice that was laid down so that we could be in this place, so that we could be, you know, somewhat free of so much persecution that so many people have endured so that we could be here. I pray today that the words of your word would become flesh, that they would be transported from the page into our spirit and that we would be changed in Jesus name. Amen. And so in our passage today, uh, the apostle Paul, he charges Timothy to stop at nothing to guard the gospel. Uh, the words that were entrusted to Paul by Jesus, then through Paul to Timothy, and then through his letter to Timothy to us, that we should do everything we can, that we should stop at nothing to protect this message. This is Paul's third charge to Timothy in this first chapter. I don't know if you've ever slowed down enough to read scripture this thoroughly, but it takes time. Scripture takes time. We love to skim it. We love to skip it. We love to go as fast as we possibly can. It's like, it's like we want to mobile order it, that we could just pick it up without having to stand in line. But when you just slow this whole thing down, there's so much. It's like one of those old pop-up books. Remember, we used to have a book, you used to open a page, and a, book, and a thing would pop up. That's what happens when you slow this thing down. And just here four weeks in the first chapter, we found these three charges that first Paul told Timothy that he should fan into flame the gift of teaching and preaching that God had given him. Next, he then tells him that he shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel, but instead he should use that gift that had been given him of teaching and preaching to spread it with boldness. Then finally here, he's telling him to guard the gospel, to protect it. So, so what I'm going to do today is I'm gonna read the first 14 verses of chapter one. And I'm, I'm gonna do that as, as sort of a refresher. And, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna look more carefully at the assignment that Paul didn't just give to Timothy, but that he gave to us. And I want you to feel its value, the value of the assignment. I want you to feel the worth of it. Think of it like school. Man, I used to hate school, bro. Oh, man. I graduated high school with a 1.9 GPA. I went to university to play football on something called Prop 48, where they had, I, I went into college on academic probation. It's a good thing I knew how to play ball. That's all I'm saying. Man, I hated school. It, I, I didn't see the value in it. School was a, a vehicle to me, if I'm being real. School was like a serving platter, if you would. Only thing that school did for me was just carry football around. That was it. Just, hey, what I got to do to play football? I got to go to school. Okay, how long I got to be there? How many classes I got to take? How many times I got to be in that class, though? Does the teacher like football? Let me wrap at the teacher real quick and see, is there anybody in this class? Could I buy my home? Like, how much would it cost me to get those assignments from that girl a third from the back and the left? Like, it's just, to me, school was because I didn't see the value in it. And when you don't see the value in the assignment, the assignment will be work. 
But if you see the value in an assignment, it'll be a process. I want you to see the value in what God has given you to do. I want you to see the worth of the assignment of what it is that Paul has called us to do here. And then I want to establish how we're supposed to protect it. So, so he says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life that, get, that God promised through faith in Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son, I want God the Father and Jesus our Lord to give you grace, to give you mercy, and to give you peace. I thank God for you, Timothy, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again. I remember your tears as we parted and I'll be filled with joy when we're together again. Doesn't that sound like something you'd write to somebody who just, you loved that person. You write them a little card. I miss you. I wish I could be with you. I remember your genuine faith, the same faith that filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, that faith that continues strong on you. It's why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid hands upon you. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about Jesus and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in lockup. With the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and he called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because it was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus. He's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and he illuminated the way of life and of immortality through this good news. He chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news. It's why I'm suffering here in prison right now, but I'm not ashamed of it because I know that the one in whom I trust and the one I'm sure is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return will do that. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching that you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that we have in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Watch this. Carefully guard the precious truth that's been entrusted to you. I mean, when you read that and you slow that down, man, that's heavy. When you skim it, it just seems like a bunch of gobbledygook. It, it, it just seems like something somebody's writing to somebody that you just, you listen to it in the background on the version app when you're putting your makeup on. But when you slow it down and you put yourself in the moment, like let me remind you of the context in case you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks. Paul, when he writes this, he's suffering persecution at the hands of this insane Roman emperor Nero who had burned half the city of Rome and blamed it on the followers of Jesus, creating this massacre of believers by the Roman government. And Paul knew that he was going to die, which he did incidentally. And so when he wrote this letter, he knew this was it. He, he knew that he had reached the end. He'd already had one trial. It hadn't gone well. Now his second trial was rapidly approaching. And in the stark reality of the imminence of his death, he wanted to write one final letter to entrust his spiritual son with this serious charge of taking over the mission and the mandate to take the message of Jesus to the outer reaches of the earth. Paul had been called to go places where no one else had ever or ever would go. And he's telling Timothy, I want you to take on this like huge responsibility. So he starts the first chapter with these three charges that we just talked about, concluding with the one that we're going to talk about today, which I think is probably the hardest of the three to guard the gospel. And, and Paul's pretty specific in verse eight and nine on what it is that we're really guarding. He, he gives us three elements of our salvation. 
He, he gives us the character of our salvation. He gives us the source of our salvation. And third, he gives us the grounds of our salvation. God has called us to live a holy life. He, he destroyed death. He gave us access to a new life and immortality through his salvation. And Paul is saying that that salvation is comprehensive. It is a total salvation from sin. That Jesus saved us from every sin we have committed, we are committed, and ever will commit. He's saying there is a comprehensive character to your salvation, and you can sum it up with three Ps, that Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin, he's saving us from the power of sin, and he's going to someday save any of us who have committed our lives in relationship to him from the very presence of sin and allow us to live for eternity in an environment where there is no temptation to, suffering from, or struggling with sin. We will be totally free from it. It is a comprehensive salvation. But what he's saving us from is from sin's penalty. And the book of Romans tells us what that is. It says the wages of sin is death. Paul's saying what we deserve is death. And it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death. The book of Ephesians talks about it. It says people who don't know Jesus are dead in their transgressions and their sins. Meaning, before Jesus, you're not able to even respond to God. You, you can't understand what he's even saying to you, which is, which is why like when you have people in your life who aren't Jesus people, you, you can't hold them to the same standard that you hold yourself to because they haven't been illuminated. They haven't been exposed to the truth. They are, Paul says, they are like a spiritual corpse. But when you respond to Jesus, by his power, he raises you from the dead. The wages of sin is death. But later on, Paul would say that there's an even more serious death. It's, it's where that, that spiritual death that we experienced before we became Jesus people becomes permanent. It becomes eternal. It's what scripture calls the second death. And the book of Revelation says, that the lake of fire, what we would call Gehenna, or what we would call hell, that the lake of fire is the second death. It is an eternal death. So Jesus came to save us from that eternal death. He suffered his death on the cross so we wouldn't have to suffer that death eternally away from God. He came to save us from the wages of sin. He came to save us from sin's penalty. But he also came to save us from sin's power. Hmm. Sin has some of you captive. You are captured by it. You are, you are in chains of it. You, you, you have this, uh, like a, you feel a reciprocity, like you, like you owe sin something. I've, I've seen people who live their lives, even after they give their lives to Jesus, as if they are indebted to sin, more than as if they are indebted to their salvation. And, and they live their lives dragging these things behind us. But, but Paul says that Jesus has saved us and called us with a holy calling to live a holy life. Remember last week, I told you holy isn't like sinless. Holy is that we live our lives separate. We, we live our lives being different than the world. If, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should not only be holy, separate, you should also be growing in your holiness. 
You should be more holy now than you were this time last year. Conversely, you should be more holy this time next year than you are now. You, you shouldn't be committing the same sins. You're going to be committing sins. I'm not trying to let you off the hook. They're just trying to help you not live in that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus. You're going to have sin in your life. You know why? Because we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. While we're on earth, we will always have a sin nature. But I don't commit the same sins now that I did 10 years ago. I don't have the same thoughts now that I had this time last year. And if I do, I need to install someone in my life who will be a piece of accountability for me so that I can communicate those things so that they can help me sand off or hone off the edges so that I can, that I can the Bible says you go from glory to glory, that, that you go from one place of holiness, of separation, to another place. There should be things that you start to do today that you would have done a year ago that when you start to do them, you go, hold up, play, uh-uh, I ain't having it. There should, be, there should be some sense of conviction inside of us that makes us feel, that, let, me use, let me use the theological term. Every one of us should have moments that make us feel icky. You ever get a moment, you just... You got every, anybody got some people, don't raise your hand and don't elbow them, but you got, anybody got people in your life that, ugh, ugh, icky, what you say, what is the technical term of icky? You, you know, you get some, you, you have that glue that, that's like the, the sticky tack that puts, that sticks paper onto some stuff and you pull the paper off and the part of the paper stays there, so you, you got to kind of, you do, and, and did it, you ever get that on your, that's what my spirit feels like sometimes. A show will come on. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Don't turn no scary movies on to me. No, sir. No. I'm a sissy. I don't, I ain't playing that. Like, I used to love some scary movies, though. Ooh, I used to love to be scared. There's a euphoria in that. I'd cut on a scary movie. I'd make people leave and cut on a scary movie. Be like, be scared the whole time. Now, I ain't trying to be scared. I'm grown. I don't want to be Mm -mm. I don't have time to be scared. Why? Because, that, because I am going from glory, because fear is not of the Lord, so I'm going from glory to glory. You should be more holy this time next year. It's called progressive sanctification, where we're constantly working at putting sin to death as we submit to Jesus, and he saves us from sin's power. And, and if we do that, and if we live in a relationship with him, the reward is that he'll save us from sin's very presence. First John says that when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And when we see Jesus face to face, all, all sin, temptation, and suffering will be removed forever. That's the character, Paul says. You didn't know he said all that in these verses, did he? That's, the, that's what Paul calls the character of salvation. It's comprehensive. But what's the source? Scripture uses metaphors all the time. And, and one of the biggest metaphors that it uses for salvation is that of a river. So, so if salvation is a river, the question is, where are its headwaters? What is its origin? What is its source? 
For more than 2,000 years, people tried to find the point of origin of the Nile River. They tried to find its source, and explorers traced it from Egypt up into the Sudan, but, but they couldn't get any further than the Sudan. They reached these physical difficulties. They couldn't keep following it. It was impossibly hard. Uh, but in 1860, a British explorer named James Hanning speak, he cracked the code. He traced it back to a lake in the center of Africa, which he incidentally went on to name Lake Victoria. And it was 4,150 miles from where it spills into the Mediterranean Sea through some of the most treacherous terrain on earth. He had found its source. And when they found the source, they were able to determine that it is the longest river on earth. As we look at the river of our salvation, it too twists through some treacherous terrain. But the question is, what's its point of origin? What's its source? Well, Paul answers that question in two ways in verse nine. He, he says what it is not, and he says what it is. He said, it's not because of anything we've done. The, the message of salvation has nothing to do with our actions or our accomplishments. It is not about what we've done, it's about what he's done. The origin of salvation, the source, is the cross. And, and Paul told his friends in Ephesus, he said, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it, it's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us are even able to boast about it. So first he says, it's not because of anything we've done, it's because of God's purpose and God's grace. God's purpose is his will. It's his reason, it's his, it's his decision, it's, it's what he wanted to do. His grace is that his purpose, what he wanted to do, was to save you. That's his sole goal. Again, not because of anything you've done, but just because he loves you. And the miracle of grace lies in the mystery of grace. And the mystery of grace is when his purpose was initiated or set in motion. And, and Paul says that his grace was set in motion before the beginning of time, which is really hard for us to understand because our minds are finite. They are bound by time. So I've been rereading one of my favorite books is Stephen Hawking's A Brief History in Time. And in this book, Hawking, who, who is... Who is uh, redone quantum physics and really is widely regarded as the most brilliant mind of our generation. He spends 30 or 40 pages proving that time had an origin. And that, that flies in the traditional quantum view that, that time has no origin, that the universe always has and always will be. But, but we know that the universe had a beginning. We don't know what that beginning looked like, because we weren't there. We also know that the universe as we know it will have an end. But what's brilliant about this book, The Brief History in Time, is that the most brilliant man of our generation didn't theorize about it. He proved mathematically that time has an origin. I love that stuff. I love physics. If I could go back and do something different with my life, I would have loved to have been a quantum physicist. I, I love science. Now, you don't get into a quantum physics program with a 1.9. That's all I'm telling you. They don't generally accept those people, no matter how hard you tackle. And so, like, I don't think that science conflicts or contradicts with faith. I actually think it validates and quantifies it. I, I think scientists are like mountain climbers. 
They climb the mountain of truth and they see truth from angles and altitudes that most of us have never dared to view it from. But I also think that when they get to the top, they discover that theologians had already set up camp at the summit. I appreciate all the work that Stephen Hawking went through to establish that time had an origin. But all he had to do <laughs> was read the Bible. Because thousands of years before he was even born, this book said grace was given before the beginning of time. But if we weren't created yet, how is that even possible? Well, here's the deal. In God's mind, you were created. This is what's baffling to us. Before the beginning of time, God was planning both your existence and your relationship with him. The prophet Jeremiah said, long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. The word everlasting means that there was no beginning and that there was no end. He said, I loved you with an unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. Our salvation comes out of the everlasting, unchanging love of God. Do you really think God's love for you is going to be affected by how you behave? Now, your entrance into heaven definitely will be affected by how you behave, but, but God's love for you won't be affected by how you behave. Before the world began, before there was a sun shining in its radiance, a moon reflecting the sun's light, an earth to walk on, or a Nile River snaking from the center of Africa through the center of Egypt into the Mediterranean Sea, God gave us his saving grace in Jesus. And that truth should produce two things in us, deep humility and total peace. Deep humility because our salvation isn't based on our actions or our achievements, and total peace because nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ. Because the source of our salvation is his purpose and his grace. And so now we've seen the character of our salvation. Uh, we've seen the source of our salvation. So, so what are the grounds of it? What, what is our salvation based on? What is the structure of it founded upon? Paul says it was given before the beginning of time, but it was revealed through the appearance of Jesus. So when Jesus entered the world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross as the propitiation for our sins and was raised from the dead, God's salvation plan for our lives was set in motion. And, and he did two things when he did that. He destroyed death and he enacted immortality, which enabled Paul to sit in a prison cell and not fear death. That enabled him to say, for me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. He knows he's being poured out like a drink offering and, and that the time has come for his departure. And, and in spite of that, he can live with this immortal hope because the grounds of his salvation are in Jesus, who said, I came so that you could have life and life more abundantly. It's the grounds, it's the foundation of our salvation. And Paul commands Timothy to guard this message because it's, it's so presage. He said, hold on to the pattern of teaching you learned from me. It's been shaped by the faith and love that you have in Jesus. It's, it's been shaped through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so, so carefully guard this precious truth that's been entrusted to you. He, he's, he's writing to Timothy saying, Hold the line. Follow the pattern. 
I've given you the outline, bro. I've, I've already given you the blueprint. So Timothy, color it in. Make it brilliant. Make it beautiful. But whatever you do, don't color outside the lines. Don't change it or rearrange it. Give them the sound doctrine that I've given you. And he's saying the same thing to you and the same thing to me. Give them, your friends, your family, your neighbors, our culture, our communities, give them the sound doctrine that I've given you. And that word there, sound, actually is translated healthy. Give them the healthy doctrine. Think of it like a last will and testament. Like if I wrote my last will and testament, I, I would be saying, I, Sean Hennessy, being of sound mind. When you write that, that means when I wrote these words, I, I wasn't under contrition. When I, when I wrote those words, I was in my right mind. I had all my faculties. I had a healthy mind. So Paul is saying, this is a, this is a healthy doctrine. It strengthens and it gives life. So don't change it. Don't compromise it. Stay with it. Protect it. Guard it. Why? First of all, because this is from God. He gave it to us. Paul told his friends in Corinth, I want you to know this gospel that I preach, it, it isn't something that man made up. I didn't receive this from any other person and I wasn't taught it. I received it by revelation from Jesus. He's saying, I got this message straight from the source and I've preached it faithfully and I need you to do the same thing. So don't change it. Don't rearrange it. Don't leave out the unpopular parts. Preach the whole thing, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you God because this message is life and people are dead in their transgressions and in their sins. And this message is the only thing that will cure that. It is the only thing that will change that. So y'all, I need you to protect it. I need you to guard it, first of all, because it's from God. But secondly, I need you to do this because Satan hates it. And so because he hates it, he's gonna fight against it. I don't know if you live in our culture, but this book is under attack. They, like, they hate this thing. They hate everything it says and they hate all of its representatives. You ever go somewhere and have a bad experience at that place? And, 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 then, and then every person that you meet who works at that place from there on out, you feel awkward. You ever post something on Yelp? And then you see somebody who works and you be like. <laughs> That's how people feel about us. Because Satan hates this whole thing. And because he hates it, he's going to fight against it. And he's been doing it since humanity began. He's been doing it through doubt. Did God really say? Was, was Jesus really a man? Or, or was Jesus really God? Or, or was he born and then he was picked like he was the number one overall? He got the hat, t-shirt, that number one said Christ on the back. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, that was his last name. Actually, I don't, I don't know what his last name was incarnate? I don't know, because that's what we call his mama. I'm just saying, I don't know. He wasn't picked. He, he came in the form of a man. And so the enemy's been attacking that whole idea. He's been doing it through deviation, through demonic doctrine, like, like enlightenment. Enlightenment is hot right now. It's a demonic doctrine that suggests that you can become one with God. He's attacked by convincing people that either there's no absolute truth or that everything 
is truth, that all roads lead to heaven, but there is absolute truth and not all roads lead to heaven. It, it only comes in one form. The truth comes in one form. It says salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you can be saved. And that truth is under attack. And there are two angles that the enemy is attacking from inclusivity and ignorance. And we need to guard against them both. We, we are surrounded by a culture that hates this message because it threatens their way of life. We're living inside a culture that's increasingly drifting further and further away from truth, morality, and Christian principles. And in an attempt to be more relevant or to broaden our reach, we can be tempted to change the message, to take some things out or add some things in. But God doesn't need you to make him more relevant and he doesn't need you to broaden his message. So we need to avoid the temptation of inclusivity because I hate to be the one to break this to you. Christianity isn't inclusive, it's exclusive. It's only for those of us who are willing to pay the price. The second temptation we have to guard against is ignorance, because when we live in ignorance, we may inadvertently change the message because we don't really know what the message is. So we end up taking scriptures out of context, like God is love. Yes, God is love. But real love doesn't let people do whatever they want. True love holds people accountable for their actions. So in our ignorance, we let people convince uh, convince us of things that aren't true. We allow them to redefine love and acceptance. We allow them to redefine truth. And so Paul's saying we have to guard against ignorance because scripture says we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he was that before the beginning of time, before time began. He was the word of life and truth. And that word is manifested in this book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this book is the only way we can guard against ignorance and identify truth. So we need to ingest this. We need to immerse ourselves in it, memorize it, meditate on it, mutter it day in and day out so that when the enemy attacks, and he will, we can be fully equipped to guard the gospel. We're in like a, uh, we're in a tug of war right now, if I could give you a metaphor. And, and on this tug of war, if you've ever watched really good tug of war teams, uh, they get one guy who's the anchor. He's, he's usually the biggest guy. He'll wrap the rope around himself and then he gets really good at like a sumo squat. He gets as deep down, puts his booty on the ground. He digs his heels in. You ever met somebody that feels like they dug their heels in? They'll wrap that rope around, they'll booty squat, put their heels into the ground, and then they'll line it up by level of strength or endurance. But really good tug of war teams. I don't know if there's a pro league, but if there was, I want the hat. Really good tug of war teams they switch positions throughout the struggle. And they switch positions throughout the struggle so that the strength can be transferred where it needs to be transferred so that the strength will maintain its, its consistency. 
whether that guy's losing his grip or strength, whatever it may be. And we are living in a culture that is in a tug of war where Satan has done a booty squat and dug his heels in on this fact that he is as powerful as God. And then he sends all of these different things to transfer throughout time. And nothing is new under the sun. And the same trash that is being thrown at us today has been thrown at other generations and they defeated it just like you can defeat it. But he'll use things like sexuality or choice or whatever it is is the hot thing on the newspaper today. Whatever is the hot thing on the newspaper today while you was asleep, that thing transferred right in front of Satan and put its, put its grip on there so that it could maintain the stress that is on your life. And for the rest of your life, there's going to be another thing that's pulling at you. And the only way that you're going to be able, when somebody comes up, somebody always want to fight about something. You ever notice that? Anybody, let, let's just with the raise hands. Is anybody sick of fighting in here? You just, just sick of, yeah, the, rest, the rest of you are the people that's fighting with me. That's like, I'm so tired of arguing about stuff. So tired of having to talk about stuff. First of all, you ain't got to ask me what I think about certain things. You just know. You know why? Because I love Jesus. If, if, if I love Jesus and that thing is contrary to Jesus, I don't love it. You ain't got to ask me. I don't got to get up here and placate and bring a billboard out talk about, I hate. Just know. Just know I don't love it. Why? If it's not in here, I don't want it. And so here's the thing, in all of those things that everybody's trying to argue with you and divide you and separate you and get you mad at each other about, the only way that you're going to know what God thinks about those things is to, to be in this. And so when it's time for you to guard the gospel, this is the only thing that will have you be fully equipped. I just wonder today if you are. I hope so because Satan hates this and he's hell-bent on defeating and destroying it, but even worse is he hates you. And he's hell-bent on defeating and destroying you too. Would you close your eyes all across this place? See, you can't, you can't be free until you know the truth. He, they will know the truth and the truth will set them free. That is the essence of what we call salvation. Salvation is this recognizing the truth and embracing it. The way, the truth, the life. In the beginning was the word. So I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, I haven't done that. I haven't, I haven't accepted the truth. The truth that my life uh, has sin in it and that that sin has gone unresolved and that it needs to be resolved before I leave here today. I, I wonder... I wonder if you haven't accepted that truth. We want to give you the opportunity to do that today. And here's how the Bible says that you can change that. Admit it. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and acknowledge that Jesus can change that. That it's done in two things. It's done through confession and profession. Confession that you're a sinner and profession that he can change that. So this morning we're going to give you the opportunity uh, to do both of those things. And here's how. In just a moment, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. First is to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. That's your way of confessing that you've got unresolved sin in your life. And once we've made eye contact, you can put your hand down. And then I, I'm going to pray a few lines in a prayer, and then I'm going to pause, and, and I'm going to ask everybody to repeat those lines. And if you repeat those lines and you mean them in your heart, then the Bible says you, you will be saved. 
So if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to, you've got unresolved sin that you want to leave here. With nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand and make thanks, thanks, thank you, thanks, thank you, thanks, thanks, thank you, thanks, 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 thanks. I'm going to ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life and I don't want it anymore. Forgive me. Come into my life. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus person, but I haven't really been doing a good job of guarding the gospel. You let people run all over it. And you say, Sean, I, I want to be more equipped. I want to dedicate myself to being more equipped and willing to guard the gospel. With nobody to look around, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, God, so many people. God, thank you for my friends in this place who are hungry to guard your gospel. Change our hearts, change our minds, strengthen and equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.